Welcome to The Healthy Advisor, a podcast from wealthmanagement.com focused on advisors' personal well-being and healing. I'm Diana Britton, Managing Editor of wealthmanagement.com, and in this podcast, we explore some of the struggles and personal development issues facing advisors and financial services professionals, and how to get to a place of healing for mind, body, and spirit. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Healthy Advisor podcast, and thanks for joining us. As you may know, this is the podcast focused on financial advisor health and well-being, and today's uh, today's guest has a lot of lessons for us on this topic. Her name is Heather Kelly. She's the owner of Kelly Like Consulting and a former executive with Allianz, Goldman Sachs, and United Capital. Uh, Heather, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Diana, thank you for having me. I I'm really excited about this one. Um, you know, a lot of folks know Heather. She's uh, just a great person, and um, she, you know, sort of has a, a human interest story that I think uh, a lot of folks in the industry don't know about. And um, I, I think it's just going to be great. Um, so Heather grew up as a sort of a disadvantaged youth in Ozone Park, a neighborhood in Queens, and uh, she grew up in a home with a single mom, a disabled sister, and you know, did not have a lot of the same opportunities that the rest of us have enjoyed. She moved out of the house when she was just 16 years old. Um, and on top of that, she has struggled with dyslexia. Uh, a learning disorder and neurological condition caused by a different wiring of the brain. But uh, despite all that, Heather has managed to climb, you know, the corporate ladder. She's become a successful, very successful executive in the insurance and wealth management industries. You know, she's a mentor to to many and you know, sought after speaker at industry events. And she did all that without a college degree. And she she now has her college degree, um, so <laughs> we want to congratulate her on that. Um, but um, Heather, I just wanted to start by tell tell us a little bit about your childhood and your experience growing up in Ozone Park. I was really um, when you started with my story and the disadvantaged youth, but I also was very um, lucky to have such a strong female presence in my life for my entire life. Um, I had a mom who, you know, not only raised a disabled child, but also put herself back through school to become a nurse. So she would understand more of what the doctors were saying and able to extend better care to my sister. Um, and I also had my sister in my life. And while she was disabled um, and she had a significant um, cognitive disability, she was born with spinal bifida, uh, but she also had other complications as she grew up. Um, hydrocephalus was one of them, which is very common. Uh, but she also had this amazing outlook on life. Um, she really did cherish every day. And she was a beacon for me. No matter how challenging something seemed for me, I had a, I had a reminder. Uh, she shared a bedroom with me. So right in the bed next to me, I had a reminder every day of just how much harder it could be. And the adversity that she had to overcome on a daily basis and the significant level of pain that she lived with in her life. And still to be able to show up, Diana, every day with a smile on her face and really embrace it 
and make those around her feel super special. Uh, a little example I can give you, like she had an incredible memory. And if you gave her a little trinket gift, a, a, a thing of nail polish, a t-shirt, whatever it might be, if you were coming to see her, she'd remember that you gave that to her and she'd be wearing it that day. You might not even remember that you gave it to her, but she mm. would have that cataloged in her mind and just make sure that to show her appreciation that she was wearing it or using it when you were coming to visit with her. Um, so she was just a great, like I said, really a great um, testament to just really appreciating whatever you do have and realizing um, that no matter how tough it is and how challenging a day can be, it really can be diff more difficult. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about just how you were disadvantaged, you know, growing up and, um, you know, I'm sure, you know, your mom worked really hard and, and, um, you know, was, it sounds like she was very loving and supportive, but what were some of the struggles that you had? I would say the biggest was financial. Um, one of the challenges, I think that my mom, and I don't think I lived it firsthand, I know that my mom had was, you know, just even sometimes holding down a job because my sister would get sick and she would end up in a hospital and then my mom would miss work. They would get very frustrated that she wasn't showing up and that always created a challenge. But in, in my younger years, my more formative years, uh, she ended up getting her degree when I was in about second or third grade um, is when she became a nurse. Before that, she was you know, doing waitressing and doing odd jobs. Um, but most of it was waitressing. And that was a lot of times at night. So I would, you know, take care of my sister on a Friday night, we, we'd go walk up to the video store, rent a video. And, uh, you know, we just had very modest means. We grew up in a, I grew up in a one bedroom apartment. Uh, my mom slept on the couch. So when I, when I say modest, it was really, you know, just very bare bones. Um, oftentimes, I'd, we'd open up the refrigerator and, you know, there was water in there. Or um, I think I shared with you when we were, when we were preparing for the call, you know, it wasn't uncommon for there to be garbage cheese in my refrigerator. Um, and, you know, mm -hmm. with that, I also qualified for public assistance, which I remember going food shopping for my mom and she her using food stamps. And, yeah, really just being embarrassed and not wanting any uh, any of my friends or any of the kids that I went to school with seeing me use food stamps. Um, I, I think it's just a mindset that you, you don't want handouts for anybody. You want to be able to take care of yourself and do it on your own. So, you know, just knowing that I, we were using public assistance was um, a little bit of, you know, something that I was, you know, shameful of, I would, I would say. And, uh, you know, just very cognizant of it also. Yeah, I can understand that. Um, and so I know you said, you know, you moved out when you were 16. Why did you move out? And what, uh, how did you make that work? When I was, you know, leading up to being 16, so it wasn't a, something that happened overnight. Uh, my mom had met uh, somebody and they were in a relationship and it really just wasn't, the environment at home wasn't a, a good environment for me to be in any longer. Um, my sister had 24 hour nursing in the house as well. And it just made sense for me to start spreading my wings and, and getting out there. And fortunately, I had a couple of friends initially who I was able to rent a room from their parents. Um, I was renting a room for $25 a week. So I, it wasn't the, you know, it wasn't definitely luxury accommodations, but it was, it was a clean place to sleep. And then pretty quickly thereafter, I was able to find a roommate and she and I got an apartment um, in the area that I had grown up. And I was, I had started in high school, I, I, had got my GED from high school and I had started in college. And while I was in college, I had um, had the ability to, you know, make friends with a gal and she was working in 
for Guardian. Um, and that was my initial foray into the financial services world. Um, and she had made an introduction uh, to two of their advisors, two of their agents, and they were looking for somebody to cold call for their major medical. And um, that really gave me between that job and then I was working in a couple of two doctor's offices and a dentist's office, gave me the financial wherewithal to really start creating some financial stability for myself. And like I said, I had a roommate and was able to you know, cover my bills, but also continue to start building and start thinking about my future. Yeah, I mean, that's incredible. Um, and I know that you, this whole time you were struggling with dyslexia, didn't you know, really know about it, but um, when did you first learn that you had dyslexia? Uh, so I mentioned to you that I had moved into college and when I was going into college and taking entrance exams there, um, they had picked up on it. And then I had one of the um, English teachers really lean in and start working with me. And then I had gotten formally tested and went through that whole um, protocol. And that's how they solidified that I had dyslexia, which, you know, I think when you have a challenge, you always know. One of the easiest examples I can give is, you know, I could take a class and do amazing in the class, or I could take that same class with a different teacher and have disastrous results. And it was really just the different learning styles, how much of it was, you know, reading versus visual learning. Um, and now I, I even fast forward to today, um, I don't even know if I had shared it with you when we were talking about it, but you know they consider dyslexia not to be something that is genetic, generally speaking, but my son has the same challenge. He has dyslexia and ADHD, and I, I see myself in him a lot. So it's interesting as I've grown, that's part of the reason why I was willing to do the podcast because you know talking, I'm used to talking in front of audiences and doing podcasts and things like that, but usually it's not talking about myself. So it's one of the areas that I'm not so comfortable about, but <laughs> you know, if, if somebody who's listening to this is, is sitting there and having a challenge, um, just know that each and every one of us has our own challenges. They're different for everybody. Some are labeled a disability, some are not. Um, but none of us get to a, a, a point of success in their lives without um, overcoming some obstacles along the way. And hopefully by sharing my story a little bit, folks will realize that whether it's themselves dealing with it or a loved one who, who's dealing with some challenges that they just realize that just because there are certain challenges that are inherent doesn't mean that it has to stop or hinder you or make some opportunities not possible. Because even early on, I, when I had first gotten diagnosed, it was strongly recommended that I didn't pursue a career that was involved or surrounding numbers. You know, don't do engineering, don't do uh, mathematics. And I think that that's not necessarily the advice that they give today. I even hear what they're saying to my son. It's just anything is possible. You just might have to approach it a little differently. Yeah, I mean, when I was doing research about it, um, I think I actually read somewhere that, uh, you know, folks with dyslexia are um, actually much more skilled at doing like risk management and things like that, uh, which would line up with, you know, exactly what you your career has been. So just a little bit of um, background about dyslexia. It's a learning disorder that involves difficulty reading due to problems identifying speech sounds and, and learning how they relate to letters and words. And it's you know more widespread than, than you might think. Around one in 10 people have dyslexia. More than 40 million U.S. adults have it, with uh, you know only 2 million of them receiving a diagnosis. Uh, there's no cure for dyslexia, and individuals with it, you know, must learn coping strategies. 
Uh, research indicates that dyslexia has no relationship to intelligence. Individuals with dyslexia are neither more nor less intelligent than the general population, but some say the way individuals with dyslexia think can actually be an asset in achieving success. And, you know, actually, you know, many successful individuals in the financial services industry have dyslexia, um, you know, including Chuck Schwab, uh, Elliot Weisbluth, who's the founder of Hightower, you know, and and you, Heather, I mean, you've been very successful. What um, were some of the challenges that came up with for you, you know, over the years as a result of the dyslexia? I would say a couple. I, I think sometimes, so you touched on one of the thing, one, one item. Sometimes I will mispronounce something. And when you're mispronounce something, like when people think of intelligence, how we speak, how we present ourselves is often uh, intertwined. So I think particularly early on in my career, maybe I was dismissed a little quicker than maybe some of my peers because my, while my vocabulary has been very robust and that's been a purposeful, deliberate, it's been very purposeful and deliberate on my part, the way I pronounce the words might not be um, completely accurate all the time. The other thing I would say is just like with word recall sometimes is a little different. I think for folks with dyslexia, I know that many who have dyslexia will experience that. And I would also say just, you know, keep in mind that there's a full spectrum. Um, so while somebody experiences something, somebody else might not experience it quite the same way. But then I would say the, the biggest thing is, and, and you might even get a chuckle out of this, but we can all relate at some point in our career, we've been at a whiteboard with a marker in our hand and being a woman in the industry, you know, when somebody was going to scribe, everybody would be like, oh, Heather, you can do it because I'd be in a group of maybe four or five uh, gentlemen with me. Um, and that was always a very uncomfortable situation because one mm -hmm. of the uh, biggest challenges that I, I've had with my dyslexia has been spelling. Um, and I, I have a lot of tools that I've been able to overcome that. And fortunately with technology, there's spell check and everything else. But when you're sitting at a whiteboard with a marker in front of an audience, that's not something you don't have a spell check working in the background. Um, right. So that was always something that was super unnerving for me and, and definitely outside of my comfort zone. You know, oftentimes I'd be like, oh, no, no, you want the spotlight. You should go up there. Uh, but it was really just that very... Um, being very self-conscious about making a mistake in front of, you know, a large audience or even in front of a smaller group um, and just not looking um, as intelligent or as well thought of because a, a small mistake might happen when it comes to spelling. Yeah, but uh, I mean, on the flip side, you know, how has this shaped who you are today? And, you know, what are some of the character traits that you've developed, um, you know, to sort of help you be successful in, in the industry? I think it's true of anybody who has a, a, a challenge or a, a learning disability of any kind, if they've been able to be successful. And like when I think of the industry and I think of many of the advisors that I've known over the, cross of my, over the course of my career or even other senior executives, you know, it's not uncommon for somebody to, like you said, to have dyslexia or to have ADHD or, or something in that genre. And I think those who have had those challenges and been able to have the perseverance and the resiliency and continue to push themselves and figure out ways to still be successful and get through the other side and have their voice heard, it really does lend to their long-term success. They've learned to think differently. They approach problems differently. 
But again, they also have that persistency that they're not going to give up. They're going to see it through. They're going to keep on trying. Um, I also think that just this is me personally, because I had some failures early on in school, like I said, I, you know, I would take one class and my easiest example would be Spanish. I took Spanish one, four times before I was able to pass it. And it was a miserable epic fail three times. And then when I passed it, I, I, I got a perfect score. And it was all because of the teacher. That last teacher that I had taught me in a way that it just clicked in my brain and I was able to finally be able to pass the test and a lot of her tests were oral and they weren't written and there was a whole host of reasons why that was possible um, but it was just it was black and white and but again you know it was having you know something that it wasn't a success but not giving up and keep on trying at it and keep on trying at it in different ways um, and look at look at problems from a multiple a multitude of angles I think is really some of what's led to my success but also others who are like me. Yeah, and so I know that you you got your degree this past May. Um, you earned a, a bachelor's in business administration from Purdue Global, um, and and congrats on that. That's just great news. And you know, I know Allianz actually pushed you to do that and helped you along the way. And you know, kudos to them for for doing that. And and you were through that program, you were kind of able to work at your own pace, right? Yes, yes, that was a. Uh... That was that was very helpful. It was working at my own pace, and it was also I was able to deploy different study techniques because it was at my own pace and it was um, self-directed. And there were a lot of tools that were available and accessible to me, but I got to pick and choose which of those tools I was going to use. And I also think that today's day and age, you know, one of the um, interesting parts about going through the educational process now versus when I was younger is technology really has changed the game completely. I was able to use Google Scholar. I was able to use the internet and search and see things in different genres, um, which was just so helpful to be able to listen to a clip first, just reading something or read and listen. Uh, there, uh, Technology has definitely um, made it easier and enabled those who might not learn in the more traditional fashion, those other avenues at a, in a scalable way um, to be able to absorb the information and learn the information and, and really just continue to develop and grow. I am a big proponent of education. Um, just because I wasn't able to finish my degree earlier doesn't mean that it's not something that's always been important to me. And that's why, you know, that's in part why I have so many designations also behind my name. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that's extremely impressive. I mean, the those designations are very rigorous and difficult. Um, you know, and and all the the series licenses. I know uh, my husband has done uh, many of those, or he's tried at them, and um, they're they're not easy. I mean, I know that I you know we know you sort of got into the industry um, through the the Guardian opportunity, but you know, walk us through a little bit of your career and how it's kind of progressed over the years. I know you worked for Joe Duran at one point at United Capital, um, but yeah, sort of walk us through the evolution of your career. I have been very fortunate, Diane. I've gotten to see the industry from a number of different vantage points, but I, I think that the, all of those different experiences have really helped me be a very proficient um, contributor to the industry today. 
I started with Guardian, which is on the insurance side. And back then when I started with Guardian, it really was just insurance. They didn't even have Park Avenue portfolio, uh, Park Avenue stood up, which was their broker dealer that came a couple, like two or three years after I joined them. It was very, very recently after I joined. Um, and I started in one of their agencies, as I, I referenced earlier in, in Little Neck, Queens, actually. Uh, but then I had an opportunity to move into their home office, which, you know, being a Queens girl, having a big city job was just fantastic. Uh, got to commute into the city. And uh, I was really fortunate there as well, because I just had some really great mentors around me. And I think the biggest experience that I had with Guardian and, and how it shaped uh, me as an adult was it really showed me an entirely different world. Um, the world that I was exposed to, whether it was my parents or friends, you know, most were either in a service industry, so think firefighter, cop, nurse, all noble, very noble professions, or were mm -hmm. in construction or an electrician or a cabinet maker or a plumber, you know, all very physical occupations. So when I first started working for Guardian, it was the first time I got to see firsthand, other than on a TV sitcom or something like that, a, a, a professional environment. And it really helped shape what I wanted to do and the impact I wanted to have as an adult. And then from Guardian, I had moved into, I had a really great career with Guardian. I was with them for almost 10 years. I was in the home office, um, moved up inside the home office, from got to see uh, different uh, vantage points from product manufacturing side, then moved into field management because they also, um, unlike Allianz, they had a career distribution for us. And I was an associate general agent with them, a brokerage manager, recruited new people into the business. So really got to see a number of different angles from that perspective. And that was when the world was evolving in financial services. It's when insurance was really now becoming um, wealth management instead of just insurance. Uh, most mm. of the advisors that I work with, um, a couple in particular, really focused in and started integrating financial planning. And this was in the beginning onsets of financial planning. Um, I even remember like being at a conference when e-money was being highlighted in the very early years of e-money. Um, and mm. then from there, went into uh, what left that went into wholesaling and then got to understand the industry from a different perspective, from, from a wholesaling perspective and working with advisors. And I would say working with advisors has been the common thread throughout my career. I think it's what gets me excited. It's what I, it's where I think I have a lot of impact and what I truly enjoy um, being able to amplify. And uh, did the wholesaling for a little while, wanted to, my husband and I have been together, we're married uh, over 25 years now and wanted to have our son. So wanted to get off the road a bit and went into, had, went, had a personal practice for a little while um, while I was having my son. And that's when United Capital came calling. Um, when my son was about two years old is when I joined United Capital. And uh, that was, again, another great experience. Joe is legendary in the industry. United Capital as a whole was legendary, though. It was really a fantastic team, not only on the advisor side, but also on the corporate side and got to work with some really amazing individuals. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's just amazing the the work that you've done. And, uh, you know, I, like I was saying, I know I live in Sacramento area now, but I was in, um, you know, Queens and Long Island for more than a decade. And Queens just has a special place in my heart. I love it. Um, you know, shout out to Jackson Heights, Queens, where I, I lived for many years. Um, but uh, that's neither here nor there. But, you know, I think, you know, given your background, 
um, you know, and, and moving out at age 16, I, I think a lot of folks would end up in a, in a bad situation and a, a difficult, ha- having a more difficult life than you had. How did you kind of overcome those odds and, and what inspired you to push yourself? Well, I'm definitely not the statistic. Um, statistically speaking, I probably should have been young and pregnant and uh, either on drugs or some, or in jail or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. I just know that I always wanted a better life. Uh, and like I said, my sister was my beacon. Um, I knew that everything I had was a gift compared to the life that she had to live. And I knew that I wanted something better than, for myself. I had the opportunity to see my mom as an independent woman, lift herself up, provide for me and my sister, get herself back through school, get us from being on Medicaid and food stamps and government cheese in the refrigerator to, you know, while it wasn't a luxurious lifestyle, it was a middle-class lifestyle. Um, And she did it, you know, she had some some support from her family, but she did it because she had her own drive. I always kind of looked at myself, Diana, as well, if my sister could live her life the way she did, and my mom did what she was able to accomplish, the obstacles that are in my way are nowhere near what either of them had to overcome. So it was kind of like, it was, it was a driving force of not giving up. And then I, I was, I've just been fortunate. I've had a lot of really good mentors around me in the business. I had a general agency, general agent when I was in Little Left Queens, who was very supportive of me. I had a great mentor when I worked in Guardian's home office. And then I've had many others during my path. Um, A little story from early on in my career, an an agent who was with uh, Guardian, he he gave me a little post-it note. He's like, the first 20 years don't count. You could do whatever you want. And Mm. it was those little, which if you ask this person, he probably would have never even remembered that he said that to me. It was just something that he did. He would have never remembered that he took the time to write it on a post-it note. Uh, But it was those little gestures. There are so many people in this industry who are really giving and want to build those around them up and see them do well. And it was that village and that support that I've had around me my entire career that's continued to give me the, the, the cheerleading that was necessary to continue on. And then I mentioned I've been married for quite some time. I'm, my husband is my biggest cheerleader. Um, he's always, anything is possible. Set your mind to it. Nothing can stop you. Um, and that really helps. And then it's my own determination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm, congratulations on you know 25 years um, being married. That's an incredible milestone. Um, and so I know that, um, I guess I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your sister, Um, I know she's passed away, you know, in her thirties, but she, she was not supposed to live that long, right? No, she was a fighter. Mm. (laughs) Um, they, you know, initially they had given, you know, they didn't think my sister was even going to make it out of the hospital at the very, very beginning, but then she wasn't supposed to live past her teenage years. And Christine, Chrissy, she went by, Uh, she was a fighter. Um, She was just determined to make it through, make it through all the surgeries. Um, When she was young, when we were very young, she was wheelchair bound. um, And that would, that was probably the most prominent disability that she had. Um, And she was paralyzed from the waist down. 
But as she got older, as her diseases progressed, um, she lost a lot more than just that. Like she had a feeding tube and she had a lot of medical support that she needed. But like I said, she still got up every day. She still got up and greeted most days with a smile. Sometimes it was with a little bit of a grimace, but most days it was with a smile. And she just wasn't going to give up. She loved being with her family. She loved every minute that she had to be with people. And it was really beneficial to me to be able to just see that appreciation, that grit that she had, um, that drive to not fail and keep going. She was in school, uh, graduated high school. So she went straight through um, and wow. with all of the the pain and the suffering that she had to endure, she just didn't let it stop her. It might've taken her longer than it would have others. Um, and it definitely took her longer than it took others, but she didn't let it stop her. She would always just, okay, what's the what's that next one little step I need to take? And what's that next one little step I need to take? And all of those little steps, as we all know in life, um, add up before you know it and you have real accomplishments behind you. Yeah. Um, well, I just, I think it's just an incredible story, Heather. Um, I'm afraid we're just about out of time, uh, but I'd like to thank my guest, Heather Kelly, for being on the podcast and and sharing uh, your story with me. Thank you so much, Heather. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. I hope it impacts somebody positively um, and it gives them the oomph to go and take that one next small little step. I really think it will. And I know it's hard to, uh, you know, open up about these things personally. Um, if, if you'd like to reach out to Heather, uh, you can reach her at heather.kellychfc at gmail.com. If you have a struggle and you wish to share your experiences and help others in, in similar situations, please feel free to reach out to me at diana.britton at informa.com. I'd like to thank you for listening to The Healthy Advisor. If you've not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This is Diana Britton reminding you that where there's healing, there is hope. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to The Healthy Advisor, a podcast focused on advisors' personal well-being and healing. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of wealthmanagement.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice. Always seek the advice of your healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding your particular situation.